Hello, this is Peter Davison. You're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 491 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we discuss volcanic eruptions on an arid planet where three forces fight over precious life-extending substance. Dune? Doctor Who? Why not both? I'm Haley. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. And I'm Kier. This week, it's true that spice is life, but so is bat's milk, for one of our lead characters at least, in the caves of Androzani. Spectrox is a euthaning drug harvested in the caves of Androzani Minor and paid handsomely for by the people of Androzani Major and its government. The government-funded mining company is at war in those caves with a mad villain and his android army, and also a gun-running crew, uh, playing both sides in the mix just to make matters worse. As the Doctor and Perry get involved, they also get infected by a raw form of Spectrox, which will kill them quickly if an antitoxin isn't obtained. But getting that antitoxin is nearly impossible, and with the war intensifying, the ground itself erupting, and both of our heroes losing their strength by the minute, things are rather dire for one of them in particular. Jackage, newest stuff. Good old Jackage. Jackage? You got the bat's milk? Contains an anti-vesicant, I imagine. Interesting. Where is it? What? The bat's milk. Finished. Only enough for you. No. There must be something I can do. Tell me. Too late, Perry. Going soon. It's time to say goodbye. regenerate. I don't know. So let's start this discussion at the end. How do we feel this story performed as a regeneration story? And for those of you with more Whovian history under your belts, did the change of doctors before the end of the season catch viewers off guard? I honestly kind of forgot that it was a regeneration story right up until the end because it's the doctor and Perry are both suffering from the same, uh, you know, same ailment. So you're like, okay, well they can't both die. And so you know that there's going to be a solution to it. And I honestly kind of forgot that the doctor gives it all to Perry at the end. So like, it wasn't until the last maybe 10 or 15 minutes that I was like, oh yeah, this is the regeneration story. I liked that. The disease or 
venom, the what they toxemia toxemia yeah. fell ill with had some real weight and that you mm. saw it degrade and had the growth pattern of it identified so that it was it's seemingly just blisters and then oh the pain in the shoulder is the next step and that it made sense for it to flow first seeing it in Perry and then the doctor experiencing all the same things and that really carried some weight and brought the level of urgency up in the episode because it was progressing and you could see how the doctor would follow in her footsteps and that just made it so real so I really liked that and then that it actually ended with something that was the regeneration a real death it, the as a regeneration story this is one of my personal favorites uh, this is one where the the consequences and the factors leading up to it, as Julie just described, are ones that when you finally get to that point, uh, very similar to what we have started getting accustomed to in in modern viewing, yeah, this is, this is the standard. It's one of those things where you kind of know it's coming and you have to grapple with that for a little while before it actually happens so that you can see how they handle their particular exit. And the way that they do the exit in this one, I feel, is a very it is it is a noted change for uh, for for the standard uh, up to this point. Sort of reminiscent of you know you have the the first regeneration since uh, Hartnell's that happens within the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. You've got the fact that it allows rather than having a regeneration, it, a sort of Legopolis sort of set set the new tone for this, where now. You where your incoming incarnation gets the button line at the end, rather than having a regeneration happen at the beginning of a story, uh, and 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 they and your outgoing doctor gets the first line of the of the new story, and then you spend the whole you know, thing trying to figure out who the, who the heck this new person is. Um, that's that's just I think a little bit better mechanic for for what I enjoy. Uh, I definitely love the this this continuation of the the visiting of the voices from characters of uh, of weight or merit within the doctor's mind happening. Mm -hmm. they, they they keep with that, but rather than what they did with Logopolis, where they had to use clips and things, they actually went and rewrote contracts to bring you know uh, Matthew Waterhouse and, and and bring you know everybody back in including Ainley as the master to sit there and snarl at the and cackle at the camera for two solid minutes <laughs> you know it just made for a really cool outro you know all the things that mm -hmm. this particular doctor this very empathetic very paternal uh incarnation of the doctor had to had to grapple with um and I think I think his last word before he before the glow kicks in is he calls out to adric which is mm -hmm. super weighty mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, I i just think that's a that, that's a really solid piece of work there um as for 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 those with yeah for those who with more kind of hooving history under their belts as you say Haley, this is this is something that uh i think is a not necessarily a gold standard, but it ticks all the right boxes mm. for what I would want to see from a from a good classic regeneration story. So. Yeah, I was thinking it felt very modern in how it was handled. There was a subtlety to yeah. it that I don't know that we've seen in a classic regeneration up to this point. As Julie mentioned, slowly building 
you know, the symptoms that they're experiencing. But, you know, we're used to, oh, the doctor and the companion are sick, but something's going to happen and they're going to pull this out at the end. And then that not happening um, it was very different than anything we'd seen before, I think. And do you happen to know if it was an anticipated change at this story uh, of the doctors or did that catch audiences off guard? I don't know if the public was aware. I think they were. I think there were some announcements that they were they were preparing press junkets with uh, Colin Baker and and such uh, as the the introduction for the new Doctor. Um, it so it wasn't uh, a massive shock to some of the viewing audience, but obviously without the sort of the interconnectedness and 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 instant information. I'm sure that the vast majority of, of viewers were sort of caught unawares. Um, from a U.S. audience, because this is the – we're right in the thick now of where PBS was starting to broadcast these ever so slightly delayed. They sort of caught up in their um, their broadcast uh, rotations through the Tom Baker era and into Davison. So they were able to sort of – as they were getting the, the film canisters, they were able to kind of pick up the slack – on how far behind British broadcast they were. So the American audience was nearly kind of unprepared to. I remember this, uh, this being one of the stories that I was able to see. I think I saw most of the episodes in proper sequence and things on our, uh, on our, you know, W PBS, I think out of, uh, out of New York that we were getting, but um, the, it didn't make, sense to me. I had never seen, I had not seen Legopolis. I had never seen a regeneration before. So total surprise for this American right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, in terms of the way it worked, I knew the mechanic was there because I had a friend who had introduced me to the show that was explaining the premise of it and he was more familiar. Um, so I knew what was happening, but I didn't know how it happened. So especially as a kid, I mean, I was a, a early elementary, like grade school kid so that was a, a a total surprise for me, and just the the fact that it was this, you know, it, he, he actually uh, Davidson actually said, you know, he says, "Is this death?" Like second, minutes before it happened, he's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 death, death!" No, no, no. I was I was told my friend Doug told me he doesn't die, uh, and and that he also said this time it feels different. Yeah, yeah. So, so mm -hmm. I I actually wanted to specific to Haley's question too, did we feel like this was a little bit of a letdown for the doctor? The story was great and everything that was kind of surrounding the regeneration, but the doctor's final moments were about everything else, not him. And also he was kind of fading out of life, literally. It was more, I mean, it was a celebration of his time, but not of him. I think that's fitting for fifth, because he was the he was the one who was trying to hold uh, very disparate personalities together. Uh, he he was the he had that very caretaker persona, so that that seemed fitting in that regard. Um, and again, sort of seeing as how the this this story in particular sort of boils all that down. This entire sequence is him doing everything possible, risking everything to get back to Perry. Because when you when you look at it pulled back from a, a way off the page, or I should say off the screen, 
um, there's another writer I have to give the credit to to, to, to the folks over at uh, TV Tropes because they actually boiled it down like this story consists entirely of insane and or absolutely horrible people fighting each other to the death for entirely selfish reasons with the doctor and Perry caught in the crossfire and the doctor dying as a result. They didn't have to be there. There was absolutely no reason why they had to be in the mix for this and had no bearing on making any of this happen. They literally just got in at the absolute worst possible time and he pays the price. Yeah. That's very doctorly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's one thing I wanted to talk about though was like the 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 dynamic of having the 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 powerful people controlling both sides of the conflict is is not anything new. I mean, I wouldn't call it a trope just yet, but it's getting there. So mm. does this story bring any kind of interesting takes on it or is this just another example of the same old formula? To me, I was not surprised, but didn't see it coming that the one guy who kept monologuing was going to be on both sides, like playing it from from both angles it, until obviously they showed us that he was. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah this guy but i didn't necessarily feel like it was um out of place or wrong i thought mm -hmm. it was a clever way to have him tied to both sides from the the angles that he was oh, uh speaking of specifically of morgus yes okay yeah well he was funding the one side with the guns to the mm -hmm. bad guy and then also Directing the other ones from the other side, telling them who to execute and how to manage killing sure. the one guy, yeah. Jax, Jax, Dex. There are some great um, dissertations out there about the Shakespearean construct of this particular story. Now, seek them out because they're they're actually really interesting essays, and it, and a lot of them focus on uh, on Jack and Morgus in particular as being these Shakespearean power mad figures um to the point where even morgus with his fourth wall breaks uh, or where he's sort of taking the the chorus the 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 that that position of, of addressing the audience directly happened to be a misinterpretation of stage direction because <laughs> it, it said in there you know to turn to camera but it wasn't meant to look down the barrel of the camera it was just a turn away from the person who was in the room and have an aside but he interpreted that as talk directly to the lens. And the director loved it mm -hmm. and said, no, we're going to keep I, – I like that. I like what this is doing for it. And it added for for Morgus in particular this idea of, of being so aware of his little uh, machinations and, and the playing the both sides and, and having to constantly pivot to say, all right – I got th this side's becoming a little bit too aware of what's happening over on this side, and I and 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 the only the only thing the only fly in the ointment was Jack, and Jack in and of himself being this, in you know, b b pun intended, bat crazy, <laughs> you know, like a, <laughs> figure. It just makes that so much more interesting. I I saw a term used for Jack where he's not the protagonist or the antagonist. There's another term. I think it's called like a tritagonist, which is the th third person in that in that uh, that imbalance of power. That just makes the whole thing so much more interesting. I think that's a that's a take on the power on either side of the conflict that has this this variable that toggles back and forth and and confounds both sides that I think is really interesting. And the, and the gun runners too, to that respect, because of the fact as soon as they realize that they're being played, 
and they're complete rat bastards to begin with. They're all killing each other off. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Stasi is like, oh yeah, you, you guys, you're sure, you know, you you could do what you want. I'm gonna go with him down to the surface. By the way, bang bang, you know, uh, Stasi's such a cool character. <laughs> what a jerk. Anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I love the dynamic in this story. Yeah, well, and that was fun too because as soon as you see that guy on camera, you're like, well, that's the bad guy. Um, you're expecting him to be the bad guy, but it's fun to find out that he's the bad guy on both ends of this. Like from any direction mm-hmm. he can come, he's coming in as the bad guy. I thought that was a well, fun they, use of a such an like of obviously the bad guy character to have him just really be the mastermind playing it all and then getting fudged over by some guy in a cave. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the they kind of hinted at that early on too, where you know the the president comes and is talking to him, and he's like, "Well, if you uh you know if you send those people to this side and you control that side, then you've got the same people. You're just not paying them now." It's like, oh, you know, I never really thought of that, and it's like kind of hinting that like this guy knows all the angles. He is working everything he can. So it's it, it kind of hints that there is a lot more going on here than than he's originally letting on. And you have characters just straight lying on camera, which I feel like you don't get that often. There's always winks or side eyes. And with him, it was just straight, no. These are all the worst of the worst. (laughs) They're they're all just horrible, horrible people. But it's very seldom that you get a mechanic in a a script where uh, typically when you get a cast where these are all just completely deplorable, disreputable, horrible characters. I don't want to watch because I'm like, there's no redemption here. This is just, ugh, this is just torture. But in some instances, if the if the character, you know, if the if the caricatures are just right, I'm like, nah, I could, I could, I could watch this because I'm just watching them all nip at each other's heels and it's kind of this is entertaining it, yeah. it, to a certain degree. And the plausible deniability from both sides too, the president he knew. He called him out on it, left the room, came back in however many days, hours, whatever later, and then gets murdered off the back of it. You don't. <laughs> Who opens oh, thank that you elevator for saving me. And doesn't and... notice the elevator's not there. <laughs> yeah. He got shoved. He was shoved. Uh, but oh. yeah, I liked it. Uh, well, so we have a potentially toxic anti-aging drug derived from bats. The antitoxin only acquired from its queen. We see two planets so close it takes only a couple of hours to travel between them. Magma-heated mud volcanoes, androids and android replicants, need I continue? How do we feel about such a high level of pseudoscience in this story and in general and then by Doctor Who standards as well? It's a pretty thick pile even by Doctor Who standards. Yeah. But... I don't know if I ever really pushed back from it and said, no, nope, that's one thing too many. I think... I, I agree. Yeah, I think sci-fi in general has given us the lens of like fudging over travel times on a galactic scale that that doesn't really stand out. You can give some pseudoscience babble about why it is about, you know, maybe one of them is a moon and not a planet, so they're actually closer... They- or they're, I don't they remember. They use the beta drive. There you go. Or there's there's a thing, <laughs> I don't remember what it's called, but where planets have basically like the same orbit. So they always stay like locked together around their sun instead of having different orbit speeds. Uh, so mm-hmm. that maybe, it, a lot of hand wavium involved in the travel. Mm-hmm. I can see the, the drug also being connected to the antitoxin. 
you know, oh, yeah. it's an, an unpurified form, so that's sure. okay. Yep. Yeah, and we all know that bad guano is pretty nasty, <laughs> so we've been warned about that. Yeah. Um, does it does it matter that it's layered in the story? So you get some bits of it as explanations for different components, and so it's not all the cause of one thing. It sort of runs through, right? Um, this being the most valuable substance in the universe that uh, apparently the rest of the universe doesn't yet know about. Uh, because right now, Andrazani Major is trying to hoard it all for themselves for their personal wealth. But Well, he looked 50, and he's really 80, so... <laughs> yeah, he did not look 50. <laughs> no. Um, See, straight lies to the camera. Straight <laughs> just, just levels of dishonesty well, just piling up on each other. They're already on a planet where they just age very poorly, so that's what 50-year-olds look like on that planet. Yeah, they're just hard miles. <laughs> <laughs> they're very long years. It's very long orbit. Right. The, uh, but, but no, I, I don't think because of the fact that it didn't come in the form of uh, of information and pseudoscience babble dumps, mm -hmm. I was okay with it because it got doled out in smaller bites. Perhaps it was one where I I was able to sort of process and take in and say, okay, that's great. You know, the the magma beast being what it was, you know, Eric Sayward didn't really want the thing in there. That thing was a bit <laughs> stupid, but it, whatever. It's, it's Doctor Who in 1984. It was the danger down mm. below, though, which kept them from just walking in each other's front doors right. to fight. So. It's something that sort of kept them, kept the soldiers from launching their offensive on Jack much, much earlier. I mean, the... just more mud and magma could have been cool without a monster, just saying. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe they just had to crack the suit out for something. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it wasn't in the original story, but... They hadn't built a monster in a while. Got to keep the kids happy. Yeah. I don't know. And then as far as the androids, uh, that's pretty progressive. You know, they they had already established uh, android replicants with Chameleon in very mm -hmm. recent memory. So that was that was plausible to the viewer. They were sort of prepared for that topic. So yeah, I think everything had a. Uh, there was nothing that sort of stood well above the surface of the water to say no. That that's take that takes too much to explain, or wasn't explained sufficiently, or came at us too quickly. I think it all sort of eased in. We didn't have a the moon is an egg moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say rare. they got me at the end of I think it's the first or second episode. And the doctor and Perry get shot. Oh, I was the like, you squad. Yeah, how? Yeah, great cliffhangers. In this. You cannot yeah. do that to them. This I know there are two <laughs> two little episodes left here, and you have just murdered and shown me them falling at the start of the next that, one, and that's, then that's introduce. Great. You fake kill yeah. them in part one, and then really kill one of them at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think what was even more interesting for me to watch your reactions to is the fact that you don't get the real explanation as to the fact that they were androids put up against the firing squad until about two and a half, maybe three minutes into episode two. That's what I'm saying. So they're just talking about it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, go, go, go. Doctor's and Julie's dead? like slapping her hand on the coffee table. Wait a second. Hold on. Yeah. This wait, show wait, is wait, about wait, wait, two wait. people who just died. <laughs> Are we not going to address this? <laughs> and he did not regenerate. I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen mid this story right now. Well, it depends on how many bullets hit him. Regeneration for each bullet, and you only get 12. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all of that being said, as interesting as I personally think uh, many of the individual character performances are, you know, I think Stasi, you know, and and and, and Morgus's 
fourth wall breaks and all these things. And, and as solid and important uh, historically or within the pantheon as I think the story is, there's something that really leaves me very uncomfortable about the level of um, predatory stalker behavior that Sheriff Jack demonstrates towards Perry. And it comes on, it's so thick and everything from the the stroking of her cheek to the the chloroforming and and everything. And it really makes me physically uncomfortable every time I watch this story. That is the one aspect that just really, really eats at me. Would any of you consider for people that are starting to go through and they've and I've got a couple of folks that I know are working their way up to about where we are in our rewatch of giving them a content warning of sorts that this sort of thing is in, is so intrinsic to the to the plot line probably and you could even save it until i think that doesn't happen until the fourth episode so uh or it's kind is of, it in the third there, yeah, it builds. Mm-hmm. It goes from just mm-hmm. oh, so beautiful thing to to getting really handsy and uh, and just mm-hmm. awful by the time you get to episodes three and four. Yeah, uh, I, up up until the last part, I don't know if it would have needed a warning, uh, but the last part, yes, it it gets very creepy. It escalates. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it again now, it's like taking the Quasimodo character and pushing it even farther kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I definitely think that it is something to be cognizant of. And, you know, unless you are very familiar with the, you know, the friends that are getting ready to watch it or whatever, and you know that they'll, they'll be okay. You know, that they don't, I, I think it warrants a warning of like, Hey, just be aware. There's some icky stuff in there. It's, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't go, I, I don't even want to say too far, but like it's, it's just know that it's coming and, you know, give them a heads mm-hmm. up because walking into it blind uh, in this day and age is just that that's not okay. Yeah. Content warnings are not something that I think used to be done. Right. So mm-hmm. nowadays I would, I would preface it even with adult or mature content as something that you're going to experience, if not explicitly including that. I don't know what exactly kind of warnings are available other than just mature or... Yeah, I was just thinking really along the lines of what Jay was discussing too, where just telling people, oh yeah, this is definitely a story you want to add to your your collection of, you know, I've gone back to watch some of the classics, uh, but just be aware there's a character who puts on some seriously creep factor predatory vibes in this. Yep. And so if that if that bothers you or if that triggers anything with you, just please be cognizant of it and you know make your make your viewing decision accordingly. Yeah. I know it's it's familiar. It's something that is used in a lot of a lot of stories that we know well, televised, staged, written. It's there. Uh, it doesn't make it any better. But it's just it is that one aspect of a story that I genuinely enjoy that just it. it it never leaves me, no matter how many times I've seen it. And I've seen the story many times. So something for, for listeners just to be aware of, too. I mean, if you haven't gotten to the story yet, well, number one, why are you listening Spoilers. to this? Spoilers. <laughs> sorry. A little bit. A little bit. Sorry. We just, but, uh, Haley just started it us off with the, the biggest spoiler. Yeah, let's start this discussion with a regeneration. <laughs> but no, but by the same token, you know, if you're, uh, if you're uh, introducing people to it, consider that. Just 
keep it keep it in the backpack because you you know I think we we're all probably in agreement that, that this is a a rewatchable recommendable mm-hmm. story for a lot of reasons. Oh, I was yeah. going to say we are we going to vote on that yeah. or should Dude, we, just, <laughs> we need to vote uh, or just take it as read? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since we've just been. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so yeah, just know know your audience and and know your friends you're recommending to. But definitely still worth the watch. And even if you kind of got to timestamp that and skip past or something like mm-hmm. that, I feel like it's still worth the story and everything around it. For certain. Yeah. The the technical aspects of the story are really kind of cool too. You know, the this director uh, did some very different things. You know, he came out of the editing booth to actually direct from the from the stage floor. Uh, a lot of moving camera angles and things. Davison had even said in uh, convention uh, interviews that had he worked with a director of this style prior in his Doctor Who career, he would have stayed on longer. Kind of late to decide that, man. Yeah, but hey, yeah, he he had he had soured, you know. He had said, you know, I I did my stint. Uh, I want to work on other things. Totally valid. So, we did get some news about the the upcoming series um, with uh, a new uh, a guest star. Or do we? Do well, we know? I don't know. It's described in all of the press releases as a major role. Now, what definition of major role means to the BBC at this point might just be recurs in more than one story, or is pivotal to a plot arc, um, or something of that sort. But I will freely admit that I am not a RuPaul's Drag Race watcher, so. I had to get myself more familiarized with who Jinx Monsoon is. I am apparently very much in the entertainment industry minority at this point because the internet went crazy with this news because this is a two-time winner or two-season winner of RuPaul's Drag Race apparently. So uh, extremely well-known entertainment commodity in that regard. Uh, and the the reception from the from the fan base, both for Doctor Who viewers and for folks who are already familiar with uh, with RuPaul's Drag Race, are super excited to see this persona added to the cast in what is described as a major role. So I don't know what that means. I could be really cool villain vibes. Yeah, I I like the quote in a galaxy of comets and supernovas. Here comes the biggest star of all. that just tells me that you that the intention is for a big personality to just hit the ground running and carry whatever role they have with an immense excitement and weight to it i'm like i'm looking forward to it it's russell and and if he's trying to make this an extravaganza kind of season he's gonna surround himself and his and his core cast with the biggest and 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 loudest and most uh you know if if you've got the toy maker and you've got this bombastic really big personality right in there right next to that that would be great somebody wanted to see uh monsoon play a missy oh that incarnation would be cool too. <laughs> i think michelle gomez has got something to say about that but uh... But this is for the season to work with Shooty, yes? Yeah, Not yeah. just the specials. Precisely. So something right. f- future, okay. Yep. 
But a leftover from the toy making. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Super cool, though. Yeah. Well, when we come back again, we are going to be uh, getting back into our Sarah Jane rewatch with The Prisoner of the Jadoon. Yeah. Every time I look at this title, this is the first story of the third season, I look at it, I'm like, wait a minute, that's, oh, no, Fugitive of the Jadoon. Prisoner of the Jadoon, Prisoner of Fugitive. Not all Jadoons are the same, okay? No, but apparently they have a lot of people, uh, they're either uh, uh, holding captive or chasing down to be captive. That's kind of just their MO. Well, when you are the space police... Mm-hmm. It's kind of what happens around Rhino you. Cups. Yeah. Yep. So get your ho ro mojo going. We got Jadoons <laughs> on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 491 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, I really want a tall glass of milk now for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a little thin vial of it. Well, a little bit of sand. Uh, this is Kier saying, the phantom of the underground is there in Perry's mind. This is Julie saying, just so you know, I'm endorsing Timon for president in 2024. <laughs> and this is Haley saying, so that's what Colin Baker did on Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> we'll see you next time. MLZ. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR. And you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime. Otherwise, nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.